Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today in the pod, Ross Richmond, the co-founder of Arrive Outdoors, a company that rents outdoor equipment to people looking to do some kind of fun activity, but that don't necessarily need to own all of the stuff themselves. Really a brilliant idea and awesome execution, as you'll hear in the story ahead. Okay, let's just jump right in. All right, Ross, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, you've got a, like a really cool business in the, in the outdoor space in Los Angeles. You're co-founder of it. Uh, so I'd love for you to tee us up with, with what that business is. And then like always, we'll get into how you, how you came to found it. Yeah, awesome. So the business is Arrive Outdoors. And we're really kind of transforming the entire way you get outside by providing access to the items to do it without having the hassle of owning and maintaining all that stuff. So we're a premium rental company, um, but even more than that, we're really a travel company. We partner with premium outdoor gear brands to provide their gear for access on our platform um, and essentially just provide a really delightful experience where you go on the website and you're you book the gear you need, and then your gear arrives at your house. There's this unboxing moment, and you have everything you need to go camping or backpacking or skiing or snowboarding in the, in the wintertime. Um, and the idea really is that you know, a lot of us live in cities. A lot of us want and are excited about doing lots of different activities and are excited about doing those things, but aren't necessarily excited about owning all the things to do it. So there's kind of this barrier to entry that's really kind of a natural thing in the outdoor industry, um, just with the expense. And of course, if you live in a small place. And so what we really try to do is allow you to focus on getting outside without having the hassle of owning those things to do it. Um, and, and that's really what we kind of provide. And then when you're all done there, you slap the label back on top and send it back to us. And we handle all the kind of maintenance, storage, et cetera, so that um, when the next person rents it, they have another delightful experience. Uh, I love it. And man, it sounds like you make having a cool experience just easy and delightful. Uh, so kudos. So, so cool. But you did say uh, you're you're a travel business and that's a scary thing to say uh, right now. But I suspect that your segment of the travel business space is probably doing better than, than just a regular travel business right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we we were scared, right? So when COVID hit, I think nobody knew what was happening and we weren't really sure what this was going to mean. There were a few, there was actually a lot of ski resorts that kind of shut down abruptly right at the tail end, but still in the hot time during the ski season. And then we were thinking what's going to happen with camp over the summer now that COVID is here. And it just turned out to be this real renaissance of camping summer. It was like the camping and kind of like that, like back to car travel um, type of mentality. And so everyone was trying to get outside. It was like the safe option. Um, and, uh, and so what we, were, what we saw this past summer, we were really fortunate, is that we were a business that really thrived during this period. 
Um, and as well, we're able to kind of focus on providing a really safe experience. I think that's something we think about a lot where we always think about our customers. So we kind of like enhanced all those processes as you could imagine to make sure they were kind of COVID thorough. And then we were kind of providing this like contactless delivery to your door or to your Airbnb of all the stuff that you needed to do your activities. Yeah. Wow. So cool. And, uh, and awesome to be in that in that spot, helping people out during this, during this tough time. Yeah, yeah, totally. We did. It was fun to like have the, the kind of the customer feedback of like, I've been trapped with my two kids inside for a month. Like, thank you so much. <laughs> like this is the saved, this saved us from kind of like this nightmare of what we're all going through. Yeah. And so just quickly here, what are like, who are your main customers and like, what are the, what are you like your main equipment stuff? Like what's the, what the breakdown of your business? Yeah. Great. So, um, kind of give those back to me if I forget any of these, but you know, essentially our customer is really kind of spans this huge swath. So like I was saying with the families, right. It's like hard enough just to get the, the two kids with the bag and the snacks of like all your clothes in a car, just to go do an activity, let alone like trying to figure out if that old tent still works that you're lugging out of your garage. So it's families, especially millennial families, um, as well as all the way down to kind of individuals in their 20s who um, don't own all that stuff or kind of aren't at the place where they're buying a lot of outdoor gear. Um, but I think the way we really kind of think about our customer segment is thinking about this person we like to think of as the dabbler. So if you're this hardcore outdoor enthusiast, you are well suited by the industry, right? So you have your REI membership or your other retailer membership, um, which is amazing. And then you kind of can access all of these things because you want to basically spend a bunch of your life like storing up all these items. Um, and that's really exciting. Um, and then there's folks who kind of feel a little bit intimidated from the outdoor industry. And those are those can be folks who are non-white or kind of haven't traditionally been welcomed in the industry or um, folks who just kind of didn't grow up. Maybe they grew up in a city and they didn't, they didn't have that outdoor access. Um, and they really want and they're yearning to get outside more and the outdoors is becoming so much more welcoming. Um, but they kind of consider themselves a dabbler, which is this non-hardcore, non-outdoor enthusiast. Think like somebody who, like if you see a man in a commercial like grabbing onto a rock face, like there are some people who are going to, and like, you know, he's like hanging off the rock face and it's like you can buy like the shoes he's wearing or like the whatever. And he's usually like a white guy. And, uh, you know, there's some people who are going to look at that and be really inspired. Like, wow, I want those products because I can achieve those great things. And those customers are great. Um, but there's also these customers or this kind of segment who says, like, well, I'm just kind of trying to get outside and have beers with my family or maybe a couple families around a campfire. And they're not really going for that kind of hardcore image. And so they might not identify as this outdoor enthusiast. So we're really trying to serve the folks who are in that kind of uh, experiential consumer type group who, who might not go out that frequently. Got it. And I'm just so interested in this. I got to ask one more thing, but is it, do you have like an ability like rent the runway where you give them a tent and like, Oh, this tent was so great. I just want to keep this. Can I, can I keep it? Yeah. It's such a great question. We get, we get asked this right now. Um, we're in the process of, of working through those. It's definitely on a roadmap. Um, but yeah, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, essentially kind of the way we think about it is if you use that thing a lot or that you know you're going to get outside more and that's something you really want to get into, it does make sense to own the items. And so it's just kind of like figuring out how to message to the customer who does want it and, and making sure they can have that kind of. Yeah. So so what's your most rented item? 
or, so it depends on the season, right? Um, definitely a tent is kind of a core staple, but uh -huh. actually most what's rented like during this camp season that we're currently kind of at the tail end of now, but definitely still roaring, um, especially it's going even a little later this year with, with COVID and people want to get outside. Um, it's this camping set though. That's kind of oh. in the summer we have a camping set or a backpacking set. Those are really popular. And then in the winter we right. have a full ski set, whether it's adult or kid, um, or a full snowboard set because they're just a little bit different of uh, different apparel. Cool. And so, so yeah. Anyway, it's like everything you need to get outside. You don't have yeah. to worry about a thing. It all comes, and you have everything you don't have to worry. Wow, that that is pretty cool. Um, all right, and, enough uh, nitty gritty stuff here that I'm that I'm interested in. Let's let, let's get into uh, to your background. You know, were you destined to be uh, the founder of this company, or like, did you think you would ever you would ever do something like this? Like, how did it how did it come to be? Yeah, I think in retrospect, maybe but it kind of took a while to get there. So um, a little bit about my background. I grew up in Boston uh, in a town called Brookline uh, within walking distance of Fenway Park. So I grew up like a real city kid. And um, I, I grew up there, but kind of after I was, I was working, doing some handyman construction work at the time, kind of working through high school and took time to travel after uh, high school before I went to college and kind of like explored the world for about a year. Um, and did that, that gap year thing. And it was really amazing. And I got to see a lot of different cultures in different places and was really kind of trying to figure out this model of change that I was aspiring towards. So like, how am I going to make my impact on the world or how am I going to make the world a better place? It's definitely kind of a question that I've had since I was young, um, and a real driving force for me. Um, so after I, I completed this year off, I came back and went to school in Chicago at DePaul University. And um, there at DePaul University, I um, really got involved in leadership. So I, I did student government and I, growing up, never thought I would have done student government. I was kind of like, I played sports and definitely was involved, um, but student government kind of felt like the type of thing that was a little too rigid for me. Uh, I didn't like to like color in the lines that kind of a way or I thought like politics or um, was like frankly like a little bit square right like it was a little too um, by the book and literally there's like when you do student government there's a thing called like Robert's Rules of Order which is like how you run a meeting um, and so um, but I, I found that I absolutely love the leadership side of things so that kind of started me on this path towards working within a system or working within the system uh, at our university and then thinking about that beyond um, to kind of make a make a change within politics, policy making, et cetera. Um, I majored in international studies with a uh, poli-sci minor and kind of was set out to either do things locally, like in the US or maybe even internationally um, and do that kind of work either in the nonprofit world kind of, or in public policy, government, et cetera. Um, and one of the things I really heard when I was traveling for that year is that really kind of stuck with me was working with, I worked with a bunch of nonprofits uh, in various countries. And I really heard that um, like you can do the change here. You can come to our country and try to make a difference. And there's lots of nonprofits and ways to do that. Or the U S is a global leader and the policies that you make in your own country impact the entire world and 
you know, you can work on international policy within the U.S. that has a great impact. So maybe think, don't come here and try to like understand, try to like change or, or make some change within our country, although, you know, that's amazing work, but really kind of like, what are you doing with your privilege as a U.S. citizen to kind of make a better difference in the world? So um, I, that was kind of rumbling around my head in college a lot. And, um, and so wanted to really get involved in U.S. politics and, and policy here. Um, so after student government, I met my now wife, who's also the co-founder of my business, um, which is uh, really exciting and a whole thing we can get into. Yeah. Um, and um, we moved from Chicago after we graduated back to Boston. And um, at Boston, when we moved back to Boston, I got involved in politics right away. So I, I started working on political campaigns um, did some, was a campaign manager and kind of did that world and then parlayed that into a job at the state house, working in uh, higher education policy within the state house in Massachusetts, um, right downtown and became more involved in education. I started, um, volunteering at my local school. I was living in Somerville at the time. My wife and I were living there. Um, like Somerville is like, has a special place in my heart. It's a really special city. And I, and I ran for school committee in Somerville. Um, I was already volunteering in the local schools. I grew up in education. My mom is a Boston public school principal, um, now retired, but that was kind of my whole world growing up was watching her in education and ran for office, had an amazing time, knocked on a ton of doors, met some incredible people, didn't win. And what I, what really stuck with me was this kind of idea that we were supposed to like have students be students. 24 seven, but we only fed them during school. So one real passion project of mine was making sure that kids had access to school. The kids that I was tutoring weren't passing out at their basketball games on a Saturday morning because they only had access to food or good food during the school day. And kind of, we dropped the ball on the safety net after school and on the weekends. So I started a program feeding kids on the weekends, did some nonprofit work for a little bit, but really kind of found out that um, the main thing that was my main driver. And I think Part of the reason I think we get back to the destiny thing was uh, that I wasn't able working for somebody else just wasn't going to work out, and that's kind of something that it took me in a lot of my twenties to figure out. Uh, and you know, I'd love to chat more about that. And it and it's just this idea that kind of entrepreneurship was the way I had to go. Climbing up the ladder or or kind of founding a nonprofit might not be as as a successful model for me, um, but really kind of thinking about my model for change being around entrepreneurship and thinking about how we can change people's behavior um, through business or kind of those kind of uh, channels. Um, anyway, moved to LA with my wife for her job. She was working for an ed tech startup at the time. So she was also in education. We arrived in LA and then the story began where we arrived in LA, didn't have all the stuff we needed to get outside. We were kind of our own consumer, this outdoor dabbler and thought, why isn't there something where we can access any gear all the time whenever we want it delivered right to our house? And the right. Were, so, was, do you move out to LA, and she's got moving out here for this job? And you're, it sounds like you were kind of between things moving out here. And was this like the very first thing that, that that you did when you got to LA? Yeah. So we moved out here. I was still kind of I was like winding down some of the nonprofit work that I was doing um, from afar, but kind of did that transition before moving out here and kind of showed up and was like, okay, West Coast. Um, and I spent a lot of time just kind of thinking, what do I want to do? What do I want to start was a big question. So I was kind of like 
like just my head was just spinning with all these ideas. And I basically was pretty interested in starting a business um, and wanted to like look around at the challenges that I was facing um, in terms of like, you know, a problem that I thought I could find that would solve something that I personally faced to have that kind of a passion when you're starting a business. And like, you know, we could go skiing one week. LA is crazy. You can go skiing one weekend, then you can like go to the beach the next weekend and you can- Or the same weekend. Or the same weekend, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, or, you know, like go out to the desert and do fun things there, go up the coast. It's just this, this kind of this outdoor playground. And so- Yeah, we're very lucky. Yeah, yeah. So, I, so, so there are all these activities. We had none of it because we moved across country. And we kind of shirked all of our gear in the process that was old anyway. Um, and so- uh, that, that, that's what I was So, okay. So you're kind of between things. You see this problem, you experience it firsthand and your entrepreneurial brain starts to say, okay, maybe there's, there's an opportunity here, but then like, all right, a lot of people see opportunities. So how did you start to like, think about turning this into something real? Yeah. I think at that point, minimum viable product was like a real kind of a popular idea. So this is a couple of years ago now still is right. It's still a great idea. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, what is the, least we could do to see if there's a there there so we were like well we want to go camping we were invited by friends to go camping so we're like okay we like let's just go buy some gear worst case scenario we at least have the gear that we need to go camping with our friends best case scenario we have like a full set of camp gear that people want to rent and we can see if Right. There's there. There's there. Yeah. Um, so we threw up a Shopify website like very quickly. It might have even been, I think it was, I think it was a Shopify site at the time um, and uh, kind of posted a camping set and, and immediately we got somebody to book and it was actually coincidentally like somebody very close to our house and they didn't, <laughs> they didn't know where our business was based. It just said LA right. on Google, right. And like LA on our site. Um, and so we like didn't even have t-shirts that said, at the time, the, the business name was Koozie uh, Camping because we just were focused on camping at the time. And we didn't have anything. We didn't like, so it was just kind of this, like what felt like a Craigslist deal where we like showed up at the site. We threw everything as into this like bin as nicely as we could. And, but it was really thoughtful, right? So we like, we included like a trash bag, a lighter, like anything that we would bring if we were going. Some marshmallows? Yeah, I think we actually did throw in like a, um, like a s'mores kit or something, right? So it was this like super like decadent version of like, well, this like super premium 11 star experience to steal from like the Airbnb. Yeah, Airbnb. Yeah, right? exactly. And it was like, just like delivered right to your door. It was perfect by a courier. Like we even showed them how to use all the stuff like on in their foyer. They were like, come on in. We're like, we like came, I, I think it was myself and Rochelle. Yeah. And we like showed them how to use, like, here's how to turn on the light. Here's how to use the stove. And, um, and kind of, anyway, they got back from the trip. We picked it up, uh, pretending not to be the owners of the company or kind of the founders, whatever that meant at the time, we just know this idea, but kind of these like a courier who is dropping this stuff off at your door. And uh, we're like, well, how was your trip? And kind of like, we're doing this like user feedback um, and they would just kind of talk and talk and we'd be like, oh great. And it all worked like your sleeping bag was warm enough. And they'd be like, oh, I was a little bit cold, you know? And so um, we kind of like learned all of these things by delivering essentially like several thousand orders by the time before we even went out and got funding. Um, and we're just kind of doing this hustle where, uh, 
we were loading up our CRV and driving around LA and I was new to LA. So all these neighborhoods were new to me and I like became a pro like on all, you know, how to navigate LA traffic <laughs> really quickly. And we're like, you know, going to Sherman Oaks to do a drop off and then all the way down to Long Beach. For those who don't know, that's like some people in LA will never make that trip because it's so much traffic and so far. So, um, we really kind of like learned the city, learned how to, how to do the business locally. And then kind of the whole time thinking, how do we expand this to every activity and how do we, um, kind of do this outside of LA? That's so cool, Ross. And so you said you did all this thousands of trips before you went and raised money. And then, so when you did go to raise money and you showed investors all that you had accomplished in your minimum viable product, uh, what was the, what was their response? Yeah. So who are the investors? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we, I think I want to say it was over 50 investors that we had, that we pitched the first time around. Um, this was like to raise our first small bit of cash. And you had, you had raised no money up until this point. We raised no money. We called our student loan company and told them like, we're going to be deferring payments for a while. And Rochelle was still working at her job. Right. Um, I was doing this hustle. Um, and I was doing, I was like, I had a side job as well. Um, and we like kind of like took $30,000 of money that we had saved, didn't put towards student loans, kind of like scrounged this money together and bought this equipment and kind of like did this stuff like the, you know, the Shopify subscription ended up getting some stickers that we put on the boxes and stuff like that. Right. Um, so yeah, so to this point we had raised no money. It was all extremely bootstrapped and because it was a rental business, it was cash generating. So by the time we went out and raised, we had made that 30,000 back, but you know, we just not like we had cash lying around to like right. do any of the ideas. We, I don't even know if we had shirt. I think we did have shirts, but at that time, but yeah. Um, so yeah, so we hadn't raised any money at the time. And um, you know, some people said like, rental like that's not a SaaS business like pass and essentially we kind of had to learn as we were going just like you know every entrepreneur when they start out and try to get funding like what a VC's thesis was what they're what they're looking to bring into their portfolio how like you can look at a VC and see what they have in their portfolio for companies they're invested in and that's kind of the companies they're going to invest in going forward mostly or, or their type of companies right so we had to kind of network our way in a new city and make connections to folks who said, I think what you're building, this experiential consumer-based D2C business um, would fit and, and, like, and in the outdoor space, like disrupting the out, traditional outdoor model. Uh, I think this might fit with this VC or that VC. So anyway, we got a ton of no's and we uh, got one or maybe a couple of yeses, I forget at the time, but I, I, all I know is we ended up in science. This was a, a little bit ago now. We ended up in science, which was an incubator slash VC studio uh, slash VC you know, in LA. And, um, and they were great. And that was kind of where we took off in terms of like getting on the path to yep. really figuring out, you know, all the things you start to really kind of focus on. As a yeah. Everyone needs that, that first believer, that first investor. And then once you get that, you know, it's, uh, it's not easy, but it's, uh, it's got, you have a more of a proven path. Yeah. 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 And at science is uh, science Inc. for those who, you know, yep. Uh, uh, dollar shave and dog vacay. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. Uh, kind of bedrock of uh, in LA. 
Cool. Um, well, that's that's awesome. Uh, what a story. Um, I mean, like really just scrappy and fun and cool. And, and obviously, you're right. Like the why you, this is, this is an easy story of that. Like you're the, you're the right guy to be, uh, to be doing this. Yeah, definitely. Like thinking about basically the whole, like our whole idea is what would we want? Because we are the target consumer, right? We're the type mm-hmm. of person at the time we were living in a 600 square foot bungalow in Atwater village, a neighborhood in LA. And, uh, you know, essentially we're like, we can't store all this stuff. We can't do all this. Like we, you know, we don't know if, when the next time we're going to go camping is. And so what would we want if we were the consumer here? And that's allowed us to be a really consumer. You know, I, I mentioned Airbnb earlier, but really kind of a consumer first company. Um, and that's where we found that kind of that viral coefficient or, or where, where uh, consumers talk to other consumers and we get kind of a buzz is that we're really delighting folks. And if, like the reviews we get are just like, oh my God, I'm never doing I'm never kind of camping another way or I'm never going to veil a different way. I'm just going to have all my stuff ready for me at my resort or at my Airbnb. And I'm just going to go and feel like an absolute pro because I don't have to worry about a thing. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. So, I mean, my mind's thinking of like racing of like your business, where your business goes in the future. Like do you guys vertically integrate and like own the campgrounds and like provide the entire experience or just more products like wingsuits for people to jump off of cliffs or like, you know, where, where does it, where do you see it going from here? Yeah, totally. So I think this gets into kind of the vision of the world that we see and what we think, where we're going as a as a economy and as consumers. So, you know, essentially, like we're all like there's just there's a lot of people in the middle class and a lot of people in the rest of the world who are racing towards the middle class. And so it just doesn't make sense for us all to buy everything with our like resources as a planet really kind of like coming in quicker and quicker with climate change and just like how much stuff we would need to produce if we really all consumed like we, we do in the U S right. So, um, and then even in the U S right, like it just, it just doesn't make sense. And and there's this huge consumer movement, which is asking for like, how do we consume smarter? Um, that's something I'm really passionate about and something that I think is just whether you're passionate about it or not is a stark reality in the next decade to, two decades to especially three, but you know, really right, right at our doorstep. And so um, we really believe that if you, you don't need to own that thing, there's a market for you to be able to still experience that activity. So, or if you maybe say it the other way around is everyone should be able to experience all the activities without having to own all the things. So if you bike to work every day, you should own that bike because you use it every day, you should maintain the interests of that bike and kind of keep it at your side at all times. Um, But for those folks who are only biking once every three months, once every six months, it just doesn't make sense for a neighborhood of 100 people to all own 100 bikes and, you know, all consume that much stuff because you multiply that across bikes, across lawnmowers and electronic goods, across, you know, all these different industries we are not using it on a daily basis, um, that really there should be a way to access that stuff and there should be an economy around accessing that stuff. So what does that mean? So if there's a hundred people in a neighborhood, like, okay, we don't need a hundred bikes. It doesn't mean we want to be in some like super scarcity world where there's only five bikes and we're like fighting over bikes, right? That I think is kind of an old model anyway of like super austerity when it comes to consuming things, but like, what's that equilibrium that's going to kind of allow everyone to have access, but still produce like 50% of those 
number of items or 60% or 40% or it doesn't really matter what it is, that's so much significantly less stuff. Um, so, you know, there's essentially this model right now, which is it's making it really easy to consume. So we have two day, and then it's one day shipping, and then it's two hour shipping. And there also really needs to be this future where it's just as easy to access that thing for an activity without having to buy it in order to access it. So I think the answer to your question is really big. It's actually extremely big. It's kind of like this paradigm where when you should be buying stuff, you should buy it. And there's lots of people who should buy outdoor gear, right? Um, but when you don't need to be buying that thing, you don't. And kind of there's a whole market that there's a whole economy that serves those who are just looking to access. And there's a whole economy looking to service those who want to buy or need to buy. Um, and that's kind of what we're building. And we're looking at and the outdoor industry is kind of the perfect um, place to do that, especially with items that you don't use every day. Yeah. Wow. Ross, what a vision. Uh, it's so cool. This, this has been uh, just delightful hearing your story, speaking to you. I've, I've loved the whole thing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. All right. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you could support us is by telling your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks.